Father God, as we dive into the text today, may we get excited. Uh, may there be an expectation that begins to well as we enter this Advent season, as we enter this holiday season, um, where we look towards Christmas and look towards you, your coming and your fulfillment of prophecy. Um, and use this time to reflect on that. In your son's name, amen. So this is called the birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Talk about choosing your words wisely, gentlemen. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among the people." Advent is one of my favorite times of year. It's a season of expectation. A season that comes once every year. You will go through many seasons of expectation in your life. The younger you are, the more you live in expectation of Christmas. This is the first year that like Stephen gets it. One, on our long road trip, we watched Elf for the first time. One of now his favorite movies. Okay, oh, oh, we need to have a talk later. <laughs> Repent and believe, okay? But Elf, he's like so excited. Santa! Ah! He's just excited about Christmas. There is something about the season. Um, there's an expectation of gifts, of watching people open gifts. Um, you have gotten them. I remember as a child not being able to sleep many Christmas nights because I was so excited about the following day. I remember dad having his friend Tom dress up as Santa Claus one year and sneak into the house so we could all 
accidentally see him working on the living room at Christmas time, setting up for the following morning. There is great expectation, and there are players and pieces involved to heighten the moment. It's like good theater. The tree is lit, the presents are under the tree, there's a manger scene set up at the coffee table, there's one Santa or 20 Santas, if you're at Tammy's house, around the house. There's maybe a special breakfast or a dinner on the pot in the background. There's a season of readiness of expectation. Statistically, most of you will be married in the next decade. Enjoy that thought. And you will go through a season of expectation called the engagement period. You will spend countless hours making menial decisions for a less than eight hour period of time. You and your parents will spend exorbitant amounts of money to have all the pieces in place that speak to the excitement and anticipation of that day. The dress, the groom, the bride, the white aisle running, the, run, the runner that runs in between the chairs. There is a set in place that heightened the experience of expectation for that day. Expectations, I promise you, if they're not already, will become a normal part of your life. Waiting to hear back from colleges, waiting to go to colleges, expectations, expectations for proms, expectations for dances, Star Wars movies, graduations, birthdays will follow you throughout the next couple years. And here in Israel, 400 years living in expectation, expectation for their Messiah to come, 40 years in the sense that the canon of the Old Testament was closed. Clearly they've been waiting in expectation even longer. Expectations for their Messiah to come, and they prepared for it a specific way. There were pieces and players in place as they waited a life of expectation. Temple worship was a specific way that people focused on the expectation for the coming Messiah. But with the engagement period lasting so long, many had turned the temple experience into something that it was not. It was all in the temple supposed to point to the Messiah. Boys, make sure you're paying attention and just not drawing Pokemon. Okay? Zechariah Zachariah was chosen in this story by lots. Not like the Old Testament Genesis character, but by a casting of lots. He was chosen. And this is a uh, way that they talked about the calling of God or how did God choose things in the Old Testament. They would cast lots. So in the sense that where it says that he was called or he was chosen by lots, it was taken to mean that he was chosen by God to enter the temple during this season. He was cast their lots to see who would bring the incense before the altar. Called directly. The altar of incense. I know. Very creative. The coals from the incense that they used in the altar were taken from the sacrificial area where rams and sheep were slaughtered. Signifying the sacrificial death of the one to come who would remove the need for a sacrifice completely. A pure sacrifice. The coals from the altar of sacrifice are placed in the bin and mixed with special incense and then placed On the altar of incense. The altar of incense stands before the holy veil. The veil is the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant rests. That's the same veil that will be torn in two when Christ is crucified. Signifying that there's no longer a divide between the king and his people. 
the altar of incense, which sits right before the veil, acts as a symbol of the prayers of the people that are lifted up to God. That's the symbol of it. It's as God calls the prayers of the people his sweet aroma. An article on the Tabernacle Online speaks to the symbolism for what Jesus' role will be before the Father. The golden altar, the altar of incense, is a representation of Christ, who is our intercessor before God our Father. During his days on earth, Jesus prayed for believers. He was like the high priest of the Tabernacle, who bore the names of each of the Israelites' tribe on his breastplate before God. Just before he was betrayed and sentenced to death, Jesus interceded for his disciples and all of the believers, asking God to guard them from from evil and sanctify them by his word and that they may see God's glory and be a witness to the world. So this section that we just dive into, which seems so simple of Zechariah working in the temple, if you understand what's happening in the Old Testament, really for all you actors in the room, the set of the sanctuary, of the holy place, of the holy of holies, if you understand that, then it is filled with such significance. So I want you to understand these things. Let's review. And this is your first fill in the blank. A man, a godly man, Zechariah, who has been living in expectation of a Messiah his whole life. So that's the character. A man, a godly man who has been living in expectation of the Messiah his whole life. Remember how it refers to Zechariah early on, what type of man he was. A man, a godly man, who had been living in expectation for a child. He had given up hope. So that's our main character on this set. It's a man who has lived in expectation of a Messiah and has also lived in expectation of having a son, a child, to carry on her name. But it, for that expectation, it was just too much more. I mean, she's old. She clearly can't have kids, Lord. He is given the privilege by God of the universe to bring incense, which symbolizes prayers before the altar. Notice the people at this point standing outside during this, all praying before the Lord during this hour of prayer where the incense would be burnt. So he goes through, if you know, if you read the Old Testament, through the ceremonial cleansing so he can actually enter the Holy of Holies without you know, being struck down. Well, not the Holy of Holies, the holy place without being struck down, making himself pure before God. He places the sign of the twelve tribes on his chest before he enters the place as their representatives as he goes to the altar representing the people. He gathers the coals from the altars of sacrifice and moves them to the altars of incense to be a sweet aroma of prayers for the people. The pride of serving, the humility of being chosen, I'm sure are emotions welling up inside this man as he makes his way to the altar of incense across the way, uttering prayers for his people as he crosses the holy place towards where the veil, where the altar of incense stands in front of the holy and holies and there at the right of the altar stands a figure like a man who speaks powerful words notice and i think i made it emphatic when i read the passage how i said that he was where to the altar he was to the right of the altar well what do we know about the old testament and people placement who is on the right of the father in heaven jesus the right of the authority is a place 
of authority. And there, it makes it clear in the text, he's to the right of the altar. Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. The angel speaks and immediately gets to the point in his proclamation. He says, one, do not fear, chill out. Which is, I guess, is what angels always have to say. I mean, think about it. Angels probably are not like... Oh, you're an angel. I'm so excited to see you. Like, these are powerful, angelic beings. Um, and this is, he gets to the point. And this is your next fill in the blank. To meet the expectation of a son that you had long lost hope for, God is granting that request. To meet your expectation of a son that you had long lost hope for, God is granting you that request. And your son's purpose to meet the expectation of a Messiah that many in Israel had long lost hope for. God is granting that request. You see how he puts that together? You've lost hope for a son. I'm going to meet your request because you thought it would never happen. What's your son's purpose? He's going to turn around and fulfill the expectation for the Messiah. To point towards the Messiah. The expectation that many in Israel had long lost hope for. And how does Zechariah respond? With disbelief. How do the people of Israel generally respond to Jesus? With disbelief. How would you have responded? I mean, I want to say, like, I really do want to say, like, I'm up in years... My wife and I have been barren for years, and this guy comes while I'm, like, burning incense and prayers to the Lord, and he's like, your wife's going to be pregnant. Have you seen her? I mean, that's what what Zachariah says, right? Like, she's advanced in years. Like, he doesn't say, oh, he's not going to say that. He's not going to get in trouble with her when he gets out of here. But, like, she's getting up there. Her younger sister can't have kids anymore. Like, you know, those, those type of things are, it's immediately with disbelief. And I think we do that all the time. Have you ever waited for something for so long that you no longer have faith that God would grant that hope? Have you ever waited for something for so long, boys? Have you ever waited for something for so long that you no longer have faith that God would grant you that hope? Is your God so small that he cannot meet even the most outlandish prayer requests? Do you limit what you bring before the Lord of hosts? I remember a time in my life when I felt the same way. And I'm sure there will be times in my life in the future where I slip into the same sin. That I didn't feel God could meet my expectations any longer. So I didn't even request it anymore. See, my grandfather, Grandpa Bob, Stu's dad, was a Presbyterian minister. He served a congregation in upstate Ohio for years until he walked away from it all. I don't know all the details, I didn't talk about it much, but I'm sure much of it stemmed from my grandmother dying of brain cancer. And he lived far from God for the remainder of his life. Growing aggravated when we would bring up Jesus, there was a deep anger. And we prayed for Grandpa Bob. For him to repent and turn back to the God he once served. Then he developed Alzheimer's. And he slowly slipped away. I stopped praying. I mean, how could... A God reach a man who didn't remember what he had for breakfast. Remember where he was. I mean, I'd given up. I'd just given up hope. 
But others had not stopped lifting up prayers. My great aunt Carol, his sister, was in town taking care of my grandfather Bob and had asked the nurse who was at the house to bring up spiritual conversations with Bob if he got the chance. Grandpa Bob didn't talk much anymore, mind you, so this in itself of having a conversation is also difficult. He couldn't carry on any coherent conversation. When you develop, when you're at that point in Alzheimer's as he was, he knew he couldn't. So you begin to not start conversations when you know you're going to get lost after the first statement. So he couldn't kind of carry on a coherent conversation, except for a brief period one Sunday morning. That morning, the nurse talked to him about Jesus, about the Savior of the world. And in a moment of clarity, my grandfather said something like this, I know it's all true. I know that Jesus loves me. I just had to take this part of the journey. He professed Christ that morning, and I believe surrendered to Christ. And a great peace came over our family. I remember receiving the news on my way to community group at the rideouts. And much like Zachariah, I was speechless. I remember receiving that phone call, not being able to talk much, and just weeping. Corey was convinced someone had died. She was driving. Thank God I was in the passenger seat being a lazy husband that morning. And I, was, I wept. I said, oh God, what have you done? How can you meet the expectation that I no longer ask from you? But in his timing, as it is always in Christ's timing, hope is born. Hope is born in the timing of God. If we continue the birth of John the Baptist, this is verse 57 in Luke 5. Luke 1. Don't jump to Luke 5. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth opened and his tongue loosened and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all his neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Can you imagine? Talk about gossip spreading like wildfire. He's speaking again. He's speaking again. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. I want you to hear this. What have you stopped crying out to God for? Where have your prayers become silent? Who have you given up on? What have you given up on? Live a life of expectation and watch God work. It will be in his own timing. But he calls you to a life of hope. Not one of despair.